good morning or good afternoon, good evening, and good night, um, depending on when you're listening to it. But we're back in the fire. I'm once again joined by my two wonderful co-hosts, Justin and Peter. How are you guys doing today? Always happy to be in the fire. So I'm always happy when I'm on here, which means I'm happy right now. <laughs> Good reasoning. Yes, I'm doing. I am doing wonderful. Thank you for that kind intro, Thomas. How are How are you doing? Uh, I'm also doing pretty well. A little tired, but you know that's life. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so today we're going over Ezra six, seven, and then a little bit of eight. Will be mostly the second half of eight. Um, it's also going to be pretty heavy scripture reading today. Uh, what is uh, better than that? That's what we know, like to hear. We like scripture and we like reading scripture. And so we're going to read a lot of it today. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be somewhat similar to last week in the historical uh, notes that are going to come up. It's going to like, there's a lot of history. There, <laughs> there is. Um, but yeah, so it'll be pretty historical, pretty good the i mean it's uh these middle chapters aren't like full of like a ton of like things that are happening i mean don't get me wrong things are happening and you can see them happening but i kind of see at least six seven and eight as more of like laying the foundation for like what happens in nine and ten which is where this book ends and leaves off uh just because I know this is like the the final like culmination of like the decrees um, and the actions like, like returning from exile and then it's going the nine and ten are going to be like okay so now it's there are no more decrees left it's like we're all here we have the temple we follow the law um, and so this is getting us from the point of like the final like get through the last of the decrees set it up let us start like worshiping and sacrificing. And then we're going to get into um, like the law after. And so we kind of go from the last of the building of the temple to Ezra being like kind of law keeper for Israel here. And it's going to be kind of fun. But general outline. We get to meet Ezra finally. We do. We do finally get to meet Ezra. Seven chapters in. <laughs> You've been wondering where he is and why this book is called Ezra. Here we. <laughs> you know, for over half the book is there's no mention of him. But I think the book. I think they probably called it Ezra because they were deciding between calling it Ezra and Zerubbabel. They decided <laughs> mm. that Ezra sounded better as a book of the Bible. <laughs> I think we can all thank them for going with Ezra. <laughs> Zerubbabel. <laughs> Could you imagine? Turn to Zerubbabel, chapter seven, verse six. <laughs> and it ends. What's what's the end of this book talking about? I mean, it's talking about Ezra. Who's that? <laughs> Zerubbabel. Um, but so we, general outline that we're going to be covering today: the decree of Darius to find the temple, the sacrifices and dedication of the temple. Um, the first Passover and Ezra becoming the teacher to the people of Israel. Um, and then finally, the appointment of uh, the priests and guard offerings. Uh, and so, yeah, I think we're just going to jump into it. 
it's gonna be a good time. So which one of you wants to read the decree of Darius six, one through 12? I shall do that. I happily volunteer. <laughs> All right. Ezra chapter six, verses one through 12, the decree of Darius. Then Darius the king made a decree that the search was made in Babylonia in the house of the archives the house of the archives where the documents were stored and in Ekbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which this was written, a record in the first year of Cyrus the king Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem let the house be rebuilt, the place whose sacrifices were offered and let, it, let its foundations be retained its height shall be 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury and also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozenai, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. This is King Darius speaking. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to those men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river, and whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require. Let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer a pleasing sacrifice to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. And my favorite verse in this chapter. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and shall be impaled on it, and, house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. <laughs> May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy the house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. All diligence. Thank you, Peter. You're welcome. <clears throat> yeah, so there's the decree. Um, what are you guys kind of seeing here? I guess we'll... We'll go with what sticks out to you most about the decree and how it was accomplished. Well, so I think for me, so I, I want to connect this with chapter five. Um, chapter five, and we read it last week, but we also read it the very first week we did this. Um, chapter five ended with a letter being written to Darius from, uh, who was mentioned here. So we met Tatanai last week. And so Five Tatnai is one of the governors of this province out here. So I think I'm pretty sure he's a governor for the Persian Empire, who's a governor over the region here in Jerusalem is. And last week we saw, and when we started this series, we saw that actual letter, we read through it, the letter of chapter five that directly precedes this, where he was, I think, pretty much asking, like he saw that they were building Jerusalem, and he sent a letter to Darius asking, did kings say this was okay and now it seems Darius is going through all the necessary steps to make sure that cyrus said that and not only is he going through those steps but he's honoring what decreed so you know i think again these persian kings <laughs> they're pretty upstanding individuals 
<laughs> at least from what we see here. I'm sure they have their flaws, but um, uh, they are very, it seems, open to allowing other religions to coexist around their, their empire. I did read somewhere that maybe that was out of a fear that they did not want to be like destroyed by the gods of those other religions. So maybe their motives, you know, earthly motives, quite on the same but it's still clear that God is working through these kings to make sure that his people can rebuild the temple. Mm -hmm. And Darius had to do this because of the enemies of Israel who wrote back to, um, I think, Darius about Cyrus. Like, oh, you can't do this. They're going to like rebel against you and be independent and stuff. And then uh, it was, was it Zerubbabel who wrote back? Or I forget who wrote back. That's my bad. But Israel wrote back and was like, hey, this, this decree was issued and it was never filled out. And then Darius is like, dang, we got to fill that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. and he provides for them. God provides through him. Mm -hmm. It's cool. I like, and it, it reminds me like, uh, like of Esther too, and how the king can't sleep in Esther. And so he goes to the records and he's like, oh, I haven't, we haven't rewarded Mordecai yet. I got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, re they reward Mordecai. And um, if you want to hear more about that, you can go read our, or read, go listen to our episode on Esther. Um, but yeah, it's like the kings of like reading the records, realizing they have a debt to pay and then they go and pay that debt um, is, you know, an interesting way that God works. And, you know, if we had a nickel for every time he done, he, he's done this, you have two nickels, <laughs> but it's weird that it's happened twice. Right. Yes. And I think it will happen a third time in a future episode as well. Um, almost definitely <laughs> i am i guarantee it um but yeah i think i think the the most important point that i take away from this is that it, it's it's yes darius is is doing this but it's really god at work um it's really god that's doing this and um i don't i mean we're gonna read this in a second but i <laughs> Pardon, pardon me jumping ahead, but verse 22 later on says, For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them. So I think it, it's important to recognize that this is God at, at play and his His hand is um, guiding the actions of, of Darius. And I also, yeah, in, in part it's because of this this kingdom of Persia is, is kind of, a I would consider, a a well-run and respectable regime um, or yeah, or empire. Um, Cause it, they, they, they have a, uh, a process of doing things and they respect the president. Like Darius respects the precedent that was set by Cyrus um, because he, he makes the intentional effort to make a decree that to search for these, for these previous decrees um and yeah to search for these previous documents which um is is commendable like there's a, a continuity in in the government here um and obviously it's to fulfill god's will for 
Jerusalem and, and the Israelites, and he's doing it through Darius. And he, and Darius really, I mean, he really is, like you can see, his heart is turned. Um, he uses pretty strong language in, in verse 6. He says, keep away, Let the and then verse 7, let the work on this house of God alone. Um, so he's very, and then obviously verse 11, where he's <laughs> threatening to impale people and make their house dunghills if they don't obey this decree, which he really has no, like he doesn't have any business in, in doing because like these are his subjects he, he i mean he could easily order order them to to order the rest or order his persian army or um guards to use force to prevent this from happening but um ultimately he doesn't and that can all be attributed to god mm-hmm. absolutely and he doesn't just stop at like um I like the old decree, but I think he also like increases it more. He's like, whatever is needed, like to let them have it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, yes, the old decree, but also like just let them take what they need and give them all that they need and let it let it do happen now and let it come from the treasury. And that's pretty impressive. Um, and I think I just wanted to have a quick note here just on the the second temple. So this is 60 cubits and 60, 60 by 60 cubits. So, which is going to be 90 square feet or maybe cubed feet. I don't know if it's also 60 cubits high, but it might, it probably won't be. It's probably not that high. That's, that's pretty high. Um, but it's 90 square feet and Solomon's temple was 60 by cubits, 60 by 20 by 30. Um, and so it's interesting to so see it's the, bigger. the two layouts. So it's bigger, but it's not. But if we go back to um, my chapter three, it's not as magnificent. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting to kind, of, to kind of think about that. Like he did rebuild it and technically rebuild it as bigger as far as space goes, but it's not, it's not the same and it's not what it used to be. Yes. It is what no it work is. Of the covenant. It's not what it used to be. No ark. Um, but yeah, so I think that's interesting. Yeah. But cool. Anybody have anything else to say on one interesting interesting note about Darius? So Peter noted his favorite verse was verse eleven, <laughs> where if anyone is pulled and he is upon it. Um, I was reading up on Darius a little bit here and verse and according to this uh, historical note, this was not an empty threat. <laughs> according to Herodotus, the great historian, this Darius here impaled 3,000 Babylonians when he took Babylon, an act recorded by Darius himself. So wow. it's not that he's just saying it. <laughs> he is through with it. So very much willing to defend this temple building project and he was of being impaled upon anyone who gets in the way it's really his signature choice of punishment <laughs> everyone has Darius their go-to business. method <laughs> yeah but cool Justin do you want to read 13 through 27 sure 27 22 sorry 
Twenty-two. There is no twenty-seven. Twenty-seven is the next one. <laughs> All right. Sardinette. Then Tatanai, governor of the region beyond the river, Shatharbosnai, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. Furnish it according to the commandment of the God of Israel, and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, rams, 400 lambs, and as a offering for all Israel's 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. They assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as in the book of Moses. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean. And they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel, who had returned from the captivity, ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy. The Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the house of God, the God of Israel. Mm. Thank you. I mean, this is, it's just kind of, straightforward narrative here about what happened um but i think like just the amount sacrificed here is just mind-boggling it's very um, reminiscent of earlier old testament passages it is um it's like it feels like a return right a renaissance they do all these sacrifices they do the sin offerings and then they also celebrate the passover um, yeah and this is the first passover celebrated post-exile and so this is kind of a big thing um and it's like a return to like what was and then their cultural identity of like being in the land being in the holy land being together once again having their temple back and finally being able to um celebrate passover together and that's this is a big moment and i think something that's going to be extremely important for later chapters nine and 10 is when is the, the line um, for all the returned exiles for their priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who joined them and separated himself from the uncleanliness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Um, so if you want to hang on to that little nugget, we can we can come back and <laughs> and see that <laughs> next week in nine and ten. We can kind of where that place. Filth of the nations of the land. <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah, and so I think that's really cool, and I'm happy that the Passover is being celebrated again. What are you guys seeing? Yeah, two things, and Thomas, you covered this, but. <laughs> Just to echo it, you can really see the great care and commitment to God's commands that the Israelites have. You mentioned the 
just the sheer volume of sacrifices that they dedicate to the house of God here. Um, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and that's an offering for all Israel, 12 male goats. Then they keep the Passover and they celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, it is a little reminiscent of, this also happened in chapter three, when they laid the foundation of the temple. They also had a big, um, had big sacrifice, like, yeah, they sacrificed a lot and they were committed to honoring God and, um, yeah, and worshiping him. But as we saw in chapter three, um, like their, their human efforts could only go so far. And ultimately like God is the one who makes his presence known. Um, but this is, this just echoes kind of echoes that just the commitment that they have, their hearts are, uh, are attuned to him. And that brings up my second point is that also coinciding with <laughs> your point, Thomas, in 21, it was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the unclean, uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord. Um, and that just makes me think that it's, it's really, um, really the people who seek after God and can believe in him. It's not just the Israelites, but those who um, separate themselves from uncleanness and worship the Lord that have that desire in their heart to turn toward God and that, um, well, I mean, we'll get, we'll get to that further next week, as you mentioned, Thomas, in that some of the Israelites married people who probably non-Israelites whose hearts were not attuned to God and who were still, um, worshiping other gods and false idols. But here we see that, and you know, the, those separating themselves from the unclean, um, repenting and, and turning towards God are, are also welcomed in this, in the sacrifice and i think that is uh, an important note to make and again something good to consider uh throughout the rest of this series mm-hmm. absolutely uh the only i don't really have much more to add to it i think you guys raised some important points to keep in mind i just do names that are mentioned here that i just want to get out there again um we see at the beginning here that the Jews building the temple, they are encouraged in building it and finishing it through the work of Haggai and Zechariah. So we see the two individuals come back into play here, which is kind of a neat connection to last week and other books of the Bible. And at the end of this, we see that at least my Bible um, translation says that the Lord had made them joyful and turned the king of Assyria toward them. Um, when it says that, I don't know if you guys have different translations. The note, my Bible note, that the king of Assyria is a reference to Darius, not the current day king of Assyria. If the Assyrian Empire was in existence at that point, mm-hmm. Darius was at one point also the king of Assyria. Um, so this isn't saying like they had the full support of the Persian Empire and then the Assyrian Empire. It's just saying the Persian Empire. And I have to, have to brush up on my history at this time. Mesopotamian history, but maybe, I mean, the Persian Empire was pretty enormous, so maybe it had swallowed the Assyrian Empire by this point. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I also need to brush up on my Mesopotamian history. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> um, but one little final question here, but 
How does the temple dedication and sacrifices align or contradict with what we see at the end of chapter three? Um, and how this seems to be a little bit more of a celebration, whereas the end of chapter three has the weeping and the shouting. I mean, we saw maybe a little bit last week that not that God wasn't with them this whole time, but maybe that there was more of a sense that God's presence was. And, you know, maybe as the temple is completed here, there's an even greater sense of that. And things are starting to a more wholesome of a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, I have nothing more I think I could add to that. I think that makes sense. Fair enough. Well, all right, then. Let's move on. I will read um, 7... 11 through 27. Um, but first I'm going to read six. Well, I guess I need to read the first one through six too of seven. And then we're going to skip to 11. Just so we can get an introduction to Ezra. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Sariah, and Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Merioth, 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 son of Zeraniah, <laughs> Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he had asked for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Now verse 11. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Peace. And now I make a decree that anyone of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem, according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with that freewill offerings of the people and the priests vowed willingly to go for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. With this money... Then you shall, with all diligence, buy bulls, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of this house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers, do with the rest of the silver and gold. You may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given to you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem, and whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes, the king, make a decree to all the treasures in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra, excuse me, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of 
the God of heaven, or let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the kings and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on anyone of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to, wis to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such known as the laws of your God. And those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confis confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Let be, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and to extend to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered the leading men from Israel to go up with me. Oof. Well done, well done. <laughs> Get yourself a sip of water. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so this is... This is Ezra 11 to 27. What are you guys kind of seeing here? I have a, I have a question, if you don't mind me asking. Please. Is this the same Artaxerxes that in chapter 4 made a decree that these uh, men be made to cease the rebuilding and said, take, take care not to be slack in this matter? I think it is. So we get some mixed signals from Artaxerxes. <laughs> Something changes. <laughs> Because there's maybe only the Lord changed his heart. There's only one Artaxerxes in this time period, uh, and I'm pretty sure Artaxerxes is going to be the king in Nehemiah as well. Uh, but I'm not 100% positive on that. But we'll get to when that comes around. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's the same Artaxerxes, which is interesting. That is, yeah, it is worth noting that. This bit of a time jump before chapter from chapter six to seven, so it skips from Darius to Artaxerxes, which means it skips the reign of Xerxes. Mm. Um, and it makes sense uh, because my Bible notes that Xerxes—that's when the Book of Esther happens. So, you know, put the Book of Esther in between chapters six and seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's good. That's a good timeline to be aware of. I think. The conclusion I draw from this then is that um, Artaxerxes may have like have a, a heart that's hardened against the Israelites, and God is just maybe uh, um, delaying that, like pushing that away for the time being, so that the Israelites can um, can keep doing what the prophecies have foretold. Um, and then maybe later he has that change of heart um, that we talked about in chapter four, if that's if that's the timeline of, of events, if that comes after this, which is another example of um, in chapter seven, what Thomas you read, just another example of God at work through like turning the hearts of of these kings, so that the Israelites can accomplish um, what God has planned for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and we have, we also have here another foreign king blessing Israel with an 
like an absurd amount of wealth, like yeah. silver, wheat, wine, oil. Um, and you, you also have him, I think it, an incredibly important line is, um, oh dear, where is it? I forgot. Oh, here it is. Um, to the God of also, wait, is it that? It's, it's, he gives Ezra permission to take the Levites and the priests and then anybody who wants to go with them as well. And so he's like, this is like kind of, this is a very Pharaoh-esque like thing, a very Exodus kind of thing of like saying, all right, take your people and go. Like, we're not going to tax you. Like, you you can have the house of the Lord. Anybody who works in, in the house of the Lord is fine. We're not going to tax them. They're going to be their own thing. And it's this is, like, a huge thing for a king to, to say that he's just going to let you take his people and then that he's not going to tax them if they work in the house of the Lord, um, which is crazy, but yeah. also really cool. And then he's also... In verse 26, whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. And he's like, go and enforce the law. Like, go enforce your law specifically, not mine. And it's, yeah, it's it's really interesting for Artaxerxes, who previously, you know, stopped the temple to then be enabling them in so many different avenues. This is, it's really cool. And you can definitely see God working in that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I also enjoy along those lines, verse 20 and then 23, 20, um, or he pretty much tells Ezra here that you may have occasion, um, anything you need paid for from the King's treasury, which is, I mean, that's like a, like in Shark Tank, when they give it the unlimited line of credit <laughs> uh, or a blank check, like that's that's what that is, pretty much. So he's saying, whatever you need, I'll give it to you. Um, like almost it doesn't matter what it is, you have it. And then verse 23 is similar as well. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done diligently for those of the house of the God of heaven. And a lot of this reminds me, you know, at somewhere along the line, in order to do this, Ezra and perhaps others who were in Persia in this empire at the time in Babylon, um, you know, they must have built up some goodwill with the kings and with the king's court. And that's what we see a lot throughout the Old Testament. Um, You see it in Daniel, where Daniel builds up this goodwill with the king and with the, the court. And as a return, the king is able to give Daniel what he wants and what Daniel needs. We see it here with Ezra. We see it with Nehemiah and in the book of Esther. Um, so I, that's a good lesson for us. Is, you know, No matter the situation you're in, even if you're in captivity, like Daniel was and Ezra was and you know all these people were, and Zerubbabel, it's still possible to you know, have that positive influence on those around you no matter their level of power and not just so you can it's not like a quid pro quo thing so then i treat you well just so i get treated well um Mm -hmm. but you see that there's a greater purpose to it also so um you know it's a good message here that obviously 
and they build up good favor with these kings probably because of just probably because they loved them and showed them love despite being in their situation and then that love is repaid um and we see it working out for good here so it's a good thing to do yeah yeah absolutely yeah, that's mm -hmm. a very good point yeah the <laughs> it is sort of an un, unthinkably uh, or unbelievably generous statement to say whatever you need you know you provide out of the king's treasury like it is <laughs> limited line of credit or just playing with house money um kind of reminds me of the in the good samaritan where uh jesus says i pulled this up it's luke 10 20 35 take care of him whenever more you spend i will repay you when i come back um, and I'm not comparing Artaxerxes to Jesus here, but um, I think looking, taking it a step further, looking at verse 27, where Ezra is um, really crediting God for doing all of this. Uh, he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, put such a thing into the heart, uh, into the king. And then later on, I took courage for the hand of the Lord, my God was on me. So I think that's more a testament of, like, again, this is this is God doing this, and the credit is to Him. Like He is supplying um, the Israelites with more than they could ask for, and they more than they deserve, probably even. Um, and yeah, it just shows how how good our God is, and in supplying all our needs and then some. Yeah. Absolutely. I had a couple right. more notes that I wanted to raise on Ezra himself, a couple of small things. This being the book of Ezra, nice to get a little background on him. We start to get it. Uh, Thomas right at the beginning of chapter seven. He is a direct descendant of Aaron. So he's in that priestly line. Um, and then verse 10, I also really like, which we didn't read. But when Ezra was almost selected by God to lead this next journey of people into Jerusalem, verse 10 says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances of Israel. Um, so that tells me that he was selected for this uh, responsibility because he had prepared for it in advance. He'd spent yeah. time making sure that he was ready for any situation that might come along. God seemingly recognized that and put Ezra in charge of leading this next group of people into Jerusalem. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, he not only prepared, but like he studied in Babylon. Yeah. Um, like he studied the scriptures. He was very familiar with them and, and what they said. And, uh, it's it's cool to see him have that passion for sharing it with his people yeah. um, and and to see God prepare him for that yeah. and to commission him to do that very thing too. I think it's very cool. Yeah. Reminds me a little bit of one. Um, Ezra delight was in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meant day and night and, he became like a tree planted by streams of water, becoming unshakable um, and prepared, uh, setting his heart on the law of the Lord and delighting in it so that when future um, troubles come along, as, as we'll 
things that he has to deal with about the struggles of Israelites that we'll probably talk about next episode. Uh, he is he's prepared to do so. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is like a leaf that does not wither. <laughs> Planted by streams of water. Um, but yeah, cool. So yes, and now we're moving to chapter eight, which is the uh, the culmination of the decree that we just read in chapter seven. Um, who wants to read twenty four to thirty six? Justin, you want to split this up? Sure. <laughs> Let me find I can it. Take I'll take 24 to 30, 30 to 36. Or I can take 24 to 30. Yeah. All right. Eight verses 24 through 36. Then I sent part 12 of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present, present had offered. I weighed it out into their hands 650 talents of silver, and silver vessels, 200 talents, and 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 derricks, and two vessels of fine bright, no, two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of Father's houses in Israel at Jerusalem, within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phineas. And with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Nehemiah, the son of Benuti, Benui, with the number and weight of everything. All the work was written down at the time. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, rams and lambs, and 12 male goats as a a sin offering. All this was burnt offering to the Lord. And they delivered the king's orders to the king's aid traps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. Mm -hmm. And there you have it, the end of chapter 8. Uh, what we didn't read in chapter eight is the very first part. It's a genealogy of uh, the Levites coming back and those who returned with them and how many people they brought with them. Um, I decided not to read that because genealogies can be a little um, uh, dry. <laughs> if you're if you're a really big fan of genealogies. I recommend the beginning of Chronicles and Matthew's begets. Um, (laughs) However, (laughs) I think for the amount of scriptures that we've read this episode, best to, to, to pass that. And if you really want to know you yourself can go and read it. I'm sure you have access to a Bible. Yes. 
It's not a we physical copy you. on your phone. Please read the whole book. It's pretty short. You can read it in the afternoon. Um, and then also uh, Ezra sending for the Levites. And then lastly, right before this, they, they fasted and prayed for protection because um, Artaxerxes did not send them with soldiers. And so that was just them walking from Persia or yeah, where Artaxerxes was all the way to Jerusalem with an absurd amount of wealth. (laughs) 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 They have a lot of money on them and not much protection. Uh, And during this time, day and age, it's very common to be raided and ambushed along the way. But as as we read, the hand of our God was on us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. And... It's just, you can see God working through this of like the Levites returning. They're not going to be taxed. They're giving these free will offerings. They're going to give to the Lord and give to the temple. And um, God protects them the whole way. Um, it's God. Is, I think this is like another reason of arguing like God isn't abandoning his people, even though like you can very much read this book and kind of get that sense uh of like oh well they just made it it's kind of lucky or oh the king just read it and he was and he decided to do this and i think you can do that be i think the strongest evidence for that is in chapter three when the temple is is rededicated and people are crying there's no presence of the lord that is shown but here you know the lord is working and you can see him working throughout the whole book you can see him working in the kings you can see him working in the rebuilding of the temple, you can see him working here in the delivering of the Levites safely. And then also uh, Ezra appoints the judges and the officials. And so this is like the last like thing Israel has to do or uh, before they can just be their own people again in their own land, doing their own practices. And Ezra is going to be teaching them how they can return to their ways and return to the Lord. And it's like, this is like the last step before like they can start again. And that's cool. And then we'll, we'll see the start in chapter nine next week. But what do you guys see looking? What are you guys uh, seeing in this? I like the switch or I want to note the switch is to the first person that we see. Mm-hmm. which I'm pretty sure this is why people are certain this book was written by Ezra because the first half of the book is not in first person when it's telling us about Zerubbabel and the rebuilding of the temple. And then it switches the first person when we get to where Ezra comes in. Um, so mm-hmm. it's a pretty good signal yeah. that it's Ezra writing it. That's a neat good point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think these events are rather inexplicable apart from God. Um, Like, it just seems so kind of bizarre that the kings of another empire would uh, support the Israelites and then keep Ezra and everyone on his journey safe with all all this wealth that they're carrying. Um, Reading up on on this journey, apparently um, the 
Though the direct distance between Babylon and Jerusalem is about 500 miles, the travelers would have had to traverse 900 miles going northwest along the Euphrates Oof. River and then south. Um, so you <laughs> take just the, um, the long, perilous journey, like just maybe by nature that that is, um, and also add in the, the pillagers on the roads that may be coming after them, but God protects them through all of this. So that, that seems rather cool as well, apart, apart from God. And uh, yeah, I like that. And pretty much um, God is mentioned, I don't know how many times in this book. Um, I'm sure the, the number is out there online or something, but God is mentioned many, many times. And I don't really know the significance of this, but um, coinciding a little bit with the book of Esther is in this timeline, this book, or Ezra does. Um, and I know Esther doesn't <laughs> mention God once, but you can also see he's at work through Esther uh, all the time. So that's just a little, a little neat note um, that I that I thought about. And then in verse thirty-five here, um, one as part of the burnt offerings, there are seventy-seven lambs, and I know seventy-seven is a significant number in the Bible. Um, but <laughs> I don't. That also, that's just a a little little neat thing that I noticed. I don't really know the, um, <laughs> like that doesn't add too much conversation, but I, I felt like I wanted to bring it up. Appreciated nonetheless. <laughs> um, I will say a talent is about 75 pounds. And so to put a little, into a little bit of perspective, the 650 talents of silver, 48,000 pounds of silver. And the silver vessels wow. was another 15,000 pounds of silver. <laughs> wow. And the talents of gold, another <laughs> 700 or 7,000. Um, yeah, 7,500 pounds. And uh, yeah, uh, Derek was only eight and a half grams. So, nah, it's nothing. Only. <laughs> Yeah, but Eight, that's uh 8000 grams <laughs> 8 kilograms yeah, that's impressive. crazy a lot to carry 900 miles and i'm sure it brought a lot of attention upon them as well mm -hmm. oh most definitely now they did have a decent amount of people going with them um but they're each carrying multiple pounds of wealth with them <laughs> yeah and they have wagons and sure carts and they load up their horses and donkeys and etc yeah camels for sure oh yeah most most definitely mm -hmm. but yeah and camels. so it's just they were traveling with a lot and like that's just the wealth they were bringing like they're bringing like clothes they're bringing food supplies water all of that along with them as well and so Pretty big band of people, pretty big, like, caravan all the way. And it, it's, they didn't have anybody to protect them. And they would have been an easy target for a quick raid. Like, just pick off some people in the back or, but, yeah, the Lord, the Lord provided. And that's a beautiful thing. For sure. Indeed. Yeah. And beautiful um, it is. 
I'm excited for next week because I like to I like to call it the the small great divorce. Or maybe it should be the big great divorce, and C.S. Lewis's <laughs> is the small great divorce. <laughs> but it's funny because they all <laughs> divorce. <laughs> um, but I'm excited to see that and see how it ties into Ezra and the rest of the book. And yeah, is there any last words that you guys have for us? I don't think so. It's just a couple of good chapters to read through. Yeah. Yeah, I got nothing else to add. Um, yeah, they are good chapters. I know they're like kind of in the middle and they're setting the stage, but still important historical timeline that uh, we can still glean a lot from. So good episode. And I'm looking forward to the conclusion of the book of Ezra next week. All right. Well, pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for another wonderful morning where we can come together, dive into your word, talk about it, see what we're seeing, see what you're showing us, Lord, and just, yeah, engage with your word and community and to share it with others. Um, we thank you for our listeners who are playing an active role in, in our podcast here, and we just thank you for them and that they, you know, actually care about what we think. Or maybe they're just listeners to make fun of us, and that's okay, too. Um, but just yeah, allow us to to keep on seeing you in our everyday lives and to see your provision, even though we may think that you're not here, you are. Um, yeah, and just thank you so much for, for everything you've done, everything your son has done for us, and just allow us to have good good days in, in the coming coming month and year in lives, Lord, and just, uh, yeah, thank you, and amen. amen. Justin, how can they get in, get in touch with us? That's a good question. There are two main ways you can reach out if you listen and you want to contact us with episode ideas, questions, comments, whatever it may be. Um, you can first email us. We have a Gmail account three in the fire at gmail.com that begins with the number three not three spelled out so number three in the fire at gmail.com reach out and we will reply to you there um, if you are more of the social media side of things and you would like to contact us you can do so via instagram where we post updates on recent episodes that come out we'll ask some questions here and there we'll interact with our stories and you can follow us and message us at in the fire podcast. Awesome. There you have it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And we will Thank you all. See you later. Farewell. Until next time.